If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisntdead.com. First, the dogs will bark. They'll know before any of us. Then I will have six to fifteen minutes. I've been taking long walks on this coast, just north of the Oregon border. Bald eagles, actual bald eagles, sitting on a wide, sandy beach. And I'm the only one here to see it. I can't see anyone else in either direction. Waves repeating themselves at the tide line. Clouds of birds fluttering up and resetting. Ten to thirty seconds after the dogs start barking, the ground will shake. Six to fifteen minutes later, the tsunami will come. An earthquake is due here, and afterward the tsunami inevitable. If I began running when the dogs started barking, could I make it through the grassy dunes and up to the hills? No. I can see the route can make any plan I want, but I couldn't outrun the wave. Six to fifteen minutes after the dog started barking, I would die. That's what would happen. No one in sight in any direction. Birds at the tide line. Actual fucking bald eagles. <laughs> I finished my walk still alive. When what's coming for me finally comes, there will be no warning. Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole, produced by Disparition. Part 2, Chapter 2, Mouth of the Water. Cape Disappointment. As picturesque a piece of land as you're going to find in this world. Northwest forest overlooking the point where the gray ocean, all froth and wave, and the mouth of the Columbia River, tranquil and turquoise, meet. A dangerous place for boats. Up on the cliffs above, the Coast Guard keep constant watch from a lighthouse. I went up there, stood near their lookout. A panorama where so many have floundered, so many have died. But for now, just a beautiful view of the ocean. The Coast Guard officer came out of the station, stood next to me at the railing. She closed her eyes, let the wind sweeping in off the river and the wind coming down the coast fight with each other in her hair. She was beautiful is maybe why I talked to her. Or maybe it had been a long time since I talked to anyone except myself, 
Monologues broadcast to a wife who is out fighting a fight that I'm still trying to understand. Aren't you supposed to be watching the boats? I said. I meant it like a joke, but I think it came out like a reprimand. She opened her eyes, glanced at me. No traffic right now, she said. I think it'll be safe for me to take a second of fresh air, but don't tell my bosses down the hill. They have different ideas about safety. <laughs> Always do, I said. I'm Keisha. Laurel. Not officer something, I asked. <laughs> yeah, officer something, she said. But for you, Laurel. A pressure in my chest that could have been pain or could have been laughter. It had been so long since I had flirted or felt the fleeting pleasure of a five-minute crush. Oh, what about that boat there? I said. Seems like you're derelict in your duties, Laurel. There was a boat, medium-sized, tiny in comparison to the mighty cargo ships that come and go through this passage. It was painted black and sitting motionless near the mouth of the river. As soon as I pointed it out, I wished I hadn't. There was a wrongness to it that didn't belong to a spring afternoon's flirtation. Laurel didn't look at the boat or at me. Any friendliness that had been in her face, or that I had imagined in her face, was gone. I'm not supposed to talk while on duty, ma'am, she said. Excuse me. She went back into the station, slamming the door. <laughs> I haven't lost my touch, Alice. We have a problem as a society. Our goal is efficiency, but the result of efficiency, by definition, is that it takes less work to get things done. And less work to get things done means there is less work to do. If there is less work, there are less jobs. Progress destroys jobs. Another result of efficiency is an explosion in population. The easier things get, the less of us die. More and more of us, less and less jobs. This place was named by a fur trader who stopped here and failed to discover the Columbia River around the corner. And so this little piece of coastline heaven is Cape Disappointment. There's this one beach on an inlet tucked away from the main trail. I had to go down a path that was more controlled fall than path. The water was shallow and clear, the sharp blue of a tropical sea in a postcard. There were people living in tents on that semi-hidden beach. I watched them play with their dogs. The dogs swam way out into the inlet. I wanted to swim too, but the water for all its tropical appearance was freezing. When I went back to where I had parked, a buck came out of the woods and crossed the road right in front of me, slow, leisurely, unafraid. Later I went up north a bit, to a place that billed itself as a free museum, but was more of a gift shop with some stuff stuck to its walls. Jackalopes and two-headed calves and the like. Old coin-operated stuff. A coin-operated execution. You put in your quarter, and the miniature castle doors opened, a priest read last rites, the prisoner was hung, and a black flag rose over the castle walls. 
paid to see it twice. They had a body they built as an alligator man. I think it's an actual corpse's head stuck on the body of an alligator, which is, well, it's something. They had it in a glass case next to a t-shirt rack. For a quarter, I could get a penny smashed with its image. I didn't. I bought pina colada flavored saltwater taffy. While I was buying it, I asked the guy behind the counter about the boat I had seen. I don't know why, but the reaction of Laurel made me curious. He frowned. Not many people ask about that boat, he said. Tourists don't stick around long enough to notice it. Locals know enough not to talk about it. That'll be $3.99. Why don't locals talk about it? I asked. What, I was going to be friends with this guy? Either he'd tell me or he wouldn't. He looked past me to the next customer. It's been in the same spot for three decades now, he said. Doesn't seem to be anchored, just unaffected by currents. Holds its position. No one has ever seen on board. People who ask questions about it learn that they shouldn't. I need to help the next person in line. Okay, I said, wondering why I had bought saltwater taffy. The taste is disappointing. The texture's garbage. Thanks. And I left the free museum with my $4 shitty candy. Down the street was an arcade called Funland, but I took to pronouncing it Funland, like Iceland. I spent an afternoon playing skee-ball. I'm looking for a vacation from this endless search for answers, and here on a sliver of land on the coast of Washington, I think I found it. Can't last long, though. I can't live forever in Funland. I can't live forever, period. Humanity's drive toward betterment has resulted in two things, more people and less jobs. None of our choices were wrong, exactly. Each was made with good intentions. Hell, maybe every choice was correct. The problem wasn't the choices, but the values. Survival is no longer a value because survival has become easy. It used to be old people were revered because they had outrun death longer than anyone else. Now old people are just the ones who waited around too long. Anyone can become an old person with a little luck. It's not a collapse of morals that has diminished our respect for the elderly. It's an inevitable response to the changing meaning of age. I ate Indian food down in Astoria, a lunch buffet. As I was eating, a woman came in looking for me. I didn't recognize her at first out of uniform, but it was Laurel. She sat across from me. I felt the faint pang of a passing afternoon's crush. Without a greeting, she held out her phone to me. A photo of a middle-aged man, bushy silver mustache, arm in arm with a teenage boy. That's my brother Bobby, Laurel said. And that's his son, my nephew Evan. Uh, okay, I said. This seemed like a strange conversation, but I lost my ability to judge strangeness somewhere around Texas. Bobby was obsessed with the black boat, she said. Spent hours watching it, said he never saw anything on board. Then one day he did. What did he see? 
I asked. Wouldn't tell anyone. Rented a kayak in Navy Heights and went out into the mouth of the river. Said he had no choice and he had to get to that boat. Wouldn't listen to anyone telling him different. Wouldn't let anyone come with him. We lost sight of his kayak. Don't know how. It was broad daylight. There and then gone. Never found any kind of body. I'm sorry, I said. This is a country of the vanished, of the missing. We got a lot of space to put him, I guess. Then his kid, Evan, he gets obsessed with the idea that the black boat took his father somehow. We try to get him interested in other things, put him through therapy, stuff like that, but it doesn't take. The answer to his pain is in that boat, and so he goes to the same place as his father, rents the same kind of kayak, takes the same kind of journey. I knew the ending to the story. How long has he been missing? I asked. It was a year three weeks ago, she said. You seem like a nice woman. Maybe in a different life, you know? Maybe in a kinder world. But I like you enough to tell you this. Forget you ever saw the black boat. Never ask about it again. It's not a mystery to solve. It's a depth to drown in. She held my eyes for a moment more and then left me to my lunch, which I had no more appetite for. That all-you-can-eat buffet got a good deal on me. I knew exactly what that black boat was. A supernatural oddity stealing innocent people? It was a thistle boat. There were thistle men on board. And so, tired, lost me, I would have to stop them. Out to Cape Disappointment with the binoculars from the truck. Went up on a ridge above the trail to the lighthouse and I looked out at the thistle boat. I knew what I would see. Sagging face, yellow teeth, yellow hat. Thistle. The boat had no name, no markings. Every surface was painted black. I watched for a long while, but there was no movement on the deck, nothing in the windows. It seemed truly abandoned, except that it stayed in position against the current. I put down the binoculars, considering my next move. And that's when I noticed something on the deck, even with my naked eyes from this distance. Dots of various colors. They hadn't been there a moment ago. I looked back through the binoculars. The entire deck was covered in people. They were all facing me, looking right back at me through the lenses. I was too far away for anyone to see me against the hillside. They saw me. They weren't thistle men. They were people. Women, men, mouths open, dull eyes. Some of them were dressed in clothes that could only have been worn without irony in the 80s. Others were in clothes that could have been worn without vintage cool in the 70s. There was a man with a bushy silver mustache. I could taste the horror on my gum line. Bobby, slack-jawed. Bobby, staring. And a gangly teenager, Evan, across the deck from Bobby. Nowhere near him. Same expression. Both staring back at me as I stared at them. 
I put the binoculars away. I stepped back down onto the trail and descended toward the parking lot. This was not a thistle boat. That's not what thistle does to people. This is some other horror, unrelated to whatever I've been chasing. I have enough terror in my life. I can't add more. <sighs> a boat that eats people. It will have to be a story without me. I am leaving. Since we no longer value survival and age, we need some other way to rank people. Because we need that. We need some people to be worth more than others. We have many ways to do that, but here's one. We value wealth. The ones who own more are better. Not for any reason, just because. And since, theoretically, but rarely actually in practice, the way toward owning more is work, work has become a measure of someone's value, second only to money. A lazy rich person is better than a poor person with a good job, but a poor person with a job is better than a poor person without a job. Ranked first by wealth, then by worth. And so that is the situation. There are more of us. There are less jobs. And we value people by whether they have a job or not. What happens when you have a world where it is impossible for people to create value for themselves in the eyes of society? What happens when we judge people for the inevitable outcome of our collective actions? I don't know. But together we're finding out. Driving back over to Astoria, the long bridge across the mouth of the Columbia River. Starting out, it's a causeway right on the water. Seagulls flying overhead, riding the same wind that's nudging my trailer toward tragedy. Once you drive out onto the bridge, you can't turn around for four miles until you're back on land. Which is fine, which is normal. But also I feel the anxiety. Being trapped on a course, no alternatives except the disaster of water. The bridge rises steeply, creating a section that the cargo ships can pass under. This is uncomfortable in a truck this size, the engine roaring against the weight behind it. And now brake lights. We're stopping. Construction. Traffic going in one way only. We have to wait our turn. I'm on a slope so steep that I'm looking at clouds in order to see the car in front of me. It's less that they're in front of me and more that they're suspended above me. Oh. Breathe. Your anxiety does not change your circumstances. You can get as anxious as you want. The world will stay the same. It doesn't help that just a turn of the head puts the black boat in my view. No one on board again. Those empty faces gone. Or not gone, but not visible to me. I must always remember that not visible to me and not in existence are not the same thing. That would be a good thing for all of us to remember, I guess. There's a cargo ship coming. Modern. A tiny control center dwarfed by the vast expanse it controls. The kind of ship that crosses oceans, 
The ship is going to pass really close to the black boat. It might even... Well, that's going to be a near one. It's going to... Oh my god. Hold on. I'm on the highway to Portland now. Logging depots. Gas stations with stalls outside selling fresh fruit picked nearby. The great cargo ship collided with the black boat. I got out of the truck, went to the side of the bridge to watch. A lot of people did. We were stopped anyway. We were standing on this steep slope that swayed with the wind and jittered with the movement of traffic in the other direction. Flimsy, like we were all perched on the thinnest branch at the top of the tallest tree. I covered my mouth, anxiety kindling into horror. The ship didn't slow, didn't see the other boat maybe? Or, or a miscalculation, an error? God knows there are plenty of those. The ship cut through the center of the black boat, and the black boat turned up on its side and then tore in half. The force must have made a gash in the hull of the larger ship because it sagged forward in the water, like a person falling to her knees, and then listed sideways. This might have taken a while. We all might have stood there a long while. One of the containers on the bigger ship wasn't secured correctly. It toppled off the deck. The black boat settled under the water, a slow disappearing act. I never saw anyone on board the entire time. The police got us back into our vehicles, got traffic moving. Coast Guard boats rushed to the collision, rescued the crew of the bigger ship, but there was no sign of anyone from the other boat. They reported that initial sweeps found no sign of its wreckage under the water. I don't suspect they'll ever find that wreckage. I don't suspect they'll look too hard. There once was a black boat on a wide blue river. The only people on board were the people who had asked a dangerous question. And one day it sunk and was never seen again. It's a simple story, a story with no ending. The kind of story that happens every day in this country. Vacation over, I guess. Back to asking my own dangerous questions. Back to receiving my own dangerous answers.
Hey Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first on May 11th, 2021, the first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. And now, a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? No one. No one who? No, no one is here. It's been quiet out here for a long time. Once there were people, I think, but they moved on. Why haven't you moved on? If no one's here, then who is talking? No one is. No one's talking? Yes. Okay. Okay. I love you. I know. This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad 
Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lublin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best. I'm a real pod broad myself.